Entrepreneurs often have similar characteristics. Energy, passion, vision. But why do some soar to success while others struggle to climb? Less than 2% of women-owned businesses in North America ever achieve a million dollars a year in annual revenue. Why is that? And how do we dramatically increase that number? Welcome to Breakthrough with your host, Sarah Roach-Lewis. Sarah offers conversations with the ambitious women entrepreneurs in that 2% to help you break through. Now, here is Sarah Roach-Lewis. Well, hello, ambitious one. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Breakthrough. Perhaps you have a bold ambition or an emerging desire to hit the million-dollar mark and beyond in your business. You may be well on your way or just starting out. Regardless, this show is for you. I want to welcome Carla Jo Helms to the show today. Carla Jo is the Chief Evangelist and Anti-PR Strategist at Joto PR Disruptors, an anti-public relations agency based in Tampa Bay, Florida. Welcome to Breakthrough, Carla Jo. Thank you. I love this, um, you know, um, aspiring one. Or what did you say when you uh, introduced? What do you call your guest? Ambitious one. We're ambitious amb- ones, aspiring, ambitious. I love it. Well, you've got me curious already. What, like okay. an anti-PR <laughs> firm, what is that? And why do you call yourself an anti-PR firm? Yeah, it's such a, it's the first question people get, right? First, first questions they have. Um, you know, that kind of comes from a, a bit of a background of, you know, how I got into PR. Um, but we, as, a, as a, an agency, we deal with uh, disruptively innovative companies, tech, healthcare, finance, that are really changing the value networks and the economy networks um, with new technology, services, products that really change things up a bit. And anytime you have a lot of change, you can have a lot of distrust. Um, and you have to really innovate and be disruptive in order to get the message out and the exposure out. Um, and then in our particular landscape, that goes the way it has typically been done in our industry. We go against the grain of how that's done. We're super aggressive, super disruptive. And, you know, as we go along, I can tell you more about how the anti-PR came up. But that was uh, based off of some really extensive market research. Um, of fast-growing companies in those industries. And we actually became positioned just by the nature of what we do as not PR, not what PR is anymore, yet what we do is PR. So it's kind of a, it's a dichotomy all in itself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do look forward to digging into that a little bit more with you. So tell me a little bit now, you, you started out in crisis management side of PR. So what did you learn in that side of public relations that you've brought with you to this anti-PR agency that you've created? You know, in crisis management, especially when you're, that's all you know, right, for, you know, the first 15 years of my career, I mean, you are putting out fires Mm. and it is extremely, it's high pressure, but it's very, very strategic. I mean, you're working with litigators, you're working with private investigators, you're working with the media, you're working with, uh, you know, stakeholders and, you know, you have a target and it is a revenue target. It's a sort of like a reverse revenue target. You're 
stopping the bleeding, right? But mm. everything you do, every public opinion piece, everything that goes out, everything that gets publicized is measured against the revenues. And so that's all I knew. That's all I knew. Um, when I was challenged uh, after 15 years of doing it to say, well, can you, can you apply this, you know, to the proactive side of PR? I thought, well, yeah, I mean, corollaries work. If it works here, it works there. Let's see what it would do. Um, little did I know that, you know, that side of the, the PR industry doesn't measure things based on revenues and it doesn't work as strategically as crisis management. Mm. So that was, um, that was the big aha moment for me, right? Um, and so really what I learned is when you're putting out a fire, everything you do to put out a fire, you can apply that proactively to um, get ahead much faster. So that was the big takeaway from it, shockingly, but it was. No, fair enough. So um, tell me then a little bit about, you know, when you talk about you are a disruptor in the industry and you do things differently, what does that look like? So give me maybe a little bit of what does traditional PR look like as compared to what you do now? You know, it's hard for me to... um, well, I was going to say it's hard for me to say what traditional PR d- does per se, and I, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Um, you know, in well, let me back up. Right, sure. um, I've never done things the traditional PR way. However, I do have a lot of people that work for me that you know have and do, and we do have uh, hundreds of clients that have given me their stories um, about you know, how things are done. And we work a lot with, of course, the media, right? Um, But how we are different traditionally is we measure everything we do against the revenues of the company. So, you know, the exposure, the type of exposure, excuse me, the stories that are put out, um, how they're positioned around the company's mission statement and purpose and how they tie into marketing and sales are all measured against revenues. And we can directly correlate those. So we've taken startups, applied crisis management techniques, very aggressive techniques, and mapped the exposure directly correlated with their revenues. And those trends, those graphs, those analytics are like near exactly correlated. Hmm. And traditionally, that's not how it's done. Now, as far as maybe some of the same, um, you know, tactics as far as, and methodologies as far as press releases and this and that, um, maybe some of those things, you know, are very similar or the same. But the methodology of how we actually put it out there, the strategy in which we do it, and how we relate everything back to revenues is not. My gosh, I love that everything is leads back to revenues because I think, you know, at the end of the day, that's really what is critically important in business. And we now live in a world where we're actually really able to track everything in those kinds of ways. So your clients must love that. Yeah, you know, they do love it. It, it actually was hard-won knowledge. Um, it, it is something that we did in crisis management. I just naturally thought that it was something that was done on the proactive side. Um, I was really naive in that particular aspect that it wasn't being done. And then 
honestly, I would hear horror stories from prospects and clients of so many years of, you know, these are CEOs of companies and they think very logically, you know, they put, they put, a, they want a bean return, put beans in something, you want to get so many beans out, you want to get more. And they couldn't correlate, you know, their goodwill, um, their publicity and their exposure to their revenue. So they had a horrible, ironically, idea of the PR industry. Mm. And every time, you know, in our sales efforts and our marketing efforts, we would hit against this humongous brick overcoat of resistance into their general distrust of the industry. And so I did a ton of market research to get to the bottom of this because I thought, wow, they're my own crisis, right? Um, And that's what I ironically found out because, you know, I think PR people are some of the hardest working people uh, in almost any industry, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But... But they do have, you know, we do have a stigma. I I wouldn't say they because I am part of it. We have a stigma. So after all of that research, branding, years on the, you know, front lines, um, you know, we we changed ourselves. We rebranded to anti-PR because that's what our clients and prospects were saying. Like, you're not PR. You're like the antithesis of PR. So we just ran with it. Amazing when your clients give you the words. (laughs) Yeah, you have to really be gutsy to listen because it changes everything. And you're like, holy crap, like I was not expecting this. This, I mean, this isn't the direction I wanted to go. I don't want to listen to this. Like, but, you know, at the end of the day, what are you going to, you're either going to close your doors, right? Hmm. Or you're going to suffer along uh, the same as everyone else, or you're going to seize the opportunity. And it's scary. Hmm. Well, you know, it's a great uh, launching pad for another question. And that is, you know, was that a strategic decision that you made? And what were when you when you talk about that, it being scary, what, what were some of the factors that went into that decision to, to move your business in that particular way? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Well, yes, it was very strategic. It was, you know, there's a variety of ways to do market research. I mean, we did market research on, you know, a cross-section majority of 5,000 CEOs of fast-growth companies in those industries I told you about. And we found out exactly what they felt like the PR industry should be doing, how PR should be measured. It was all very logical, right? What they hated about PR, what they didn't understand about it. It really told me that we kind of have done an abysmal job of educating people mm-hmm. on PR and how powerful it is, you know. But that was one set of research. And then years on, um, you know, sales and marketing lines, and you hear feedback, especially on sales lines, right? Mm-hmm. And then matching that to the market analysis that we did. When I really took a look at it, I, I was like, we, you know, this is something that we definitely need to do. And um, so, you know, changing that and then doing the market research for the branding um, and finding out what our unique selling proposition was and how we were different, it was all very strategic. But then you have to think about, it, like, okay, you got a new position. Um, but think of all the branding materials, the marketing, mm-hmm. the, the website. I mean, that's expensive, right? How are you going to roll it out? You have to make sure everybody understands the voice. And it's throughout the organization. It's been, um, it was a daunting 
It was a daunting task, I would say. So how far along were you in your business before you made this leap and this rebrand? Um, I would say, let me see. I was five years along. Okay. Hmm. Six years, six years along. Yeah. Six years along. And, um, yeah, I think I really had to get enough data and really, you know, when you go into something, you think, you know, what's going on. It's even, I've even seen this with our entrepreneurial clients that are serial entrepreneurs. You know, they go into power and one, they sell their company for, you know, multi-millions of dollars. They want to start another one. They always use PR first to create the buzz, by the way, the, the serial entrepreneurs. It's very interesting. But they always think they know best. And they hit every single one of them. They hit a roadblock because they're really starting off in non-existence, right? And they are going, they're going through all the barriers that you naturally go through when you're finding things out and, you know, going up the ranks. Um, so I really had to have a lot of experience in order to feel comfortable doing this. And, you know, you asked me the most scary thing. It was really making my, like, I had to do it in such a way where I didn't position myself against my industry. I mean, what I was doing was um, positioning myself so we could actually get in the door for, mm-hmm. to companies, to our prospects and clients. I mean, that's really where the rubber meets the road, right? But doing it in such a way where I didn't alienate my colleagues. Funny, it's huh? a challenge, yeah. You know, on the one hand, you want to you want to stand out and you want to be different, and yet you still want to um, call, have those opportunities where you need to collaborate and and work with your colleagues. Yeah, it's true. We have, you know, we had bonuses on it. You know, there's been a lot of bonuses. I mean, it definitely impacted sales and marketing right away, but it also impacted. Um, it impacted the employees and the quality of employees that, that were coming to us to, hi- to be hired. Like crazy, huh? Hmm. People wanted to be, people wanted that uniqueness. They wanted to be with something different. Um, and they, many of them, you know, um, were PRs and could really relate. So we weren't it's, expecting that. It's so amazing how everything makes so much sense in hindsight. And it, you know, yeah. those decisions that you really struggled with in the moment, in hindsight, it was like, oh, that totally made sense. Right. Like the way we have it rigged right now in life where we have to go through a bunch of pain to get experience. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurial path. What, you know, where did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Uh, what did you want to be? No, I did not. Okay. I was, I initially started off as a dancer. I was a dance major and, uh, you know, broke my back. Um, I was part of, yeah, crazy. was part of a prestigious dance team. We traveled all over the world. And um, after that happened, my dad was like, yeah, you need to find another, you need to find another career. Right. And, um, he kept pushing me to do PR. Why? I have no idea. But um, he was very dominant, you know, in that in my life. And But I was pretty dominant back. So I actually said, you know what? Quit. You know, get off my back. I'm going to figure out what I want to do. I actually had quit school temporarily to go into the workforce just to make him mad. 
(laughs) (laughs) And um, I went to work for a healthcare company and I think I was on my third interview with HR or whatever. And they said, you know, you'd be great in our PR program. And I thought, you know, you've got to be kidding me. So that's really how it started. Um, You know, my family, all the the men and the women, they're all executives, but they all work for corporations and none of them were entrepreneurs. Um, But I worked for a very successful woman entrepreneur and that was what gave me the bug. Hmm. And so what was it about that, that, that helped you launch into this entrepreneurial journey? Um, It was the empowerment that I could actually create something from nothing. Um, That is a very empowering feeling. Like if I lost everything, if I lost the shirt off my back, could I recreate something again? Am I self-sufficient? Do I have enough um, guts, belief in myself, not just belief in my bank account, but belief in myself to create something from nothing? That was the, that's the driving factor. And the behind that is you never want to fail. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are driven by not failing. It's the ability to create something from nothing and not failing. And those are the two like energies that um, got me started and keep me going. Hmm. On that amazing note, I'm going to lead us to break. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Carla Jo Helms. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. I'm Sarah Roach-Lewis, and I'm here with Carla Jo Helms, the anti-PR strategist at Johto PR Disruptors. And uh, Carla Jo, before we went for break, we were just chatting about you know, your entrepreneurial journey and really having this difficult experience led you to, um, led you to uh, entrepreneurship. Tell me about, you know, what do you see as some of your greatest strengths in your business? And what are those areas where you're still growing and building? Greatest strengths and where we're growing and building. I think, uh, well, you know, it's funny that you asked that question. It's a really good question. Um, our greatest strength is also the area where we're growing and building. Um, just owning the whole persona of 
what we do, how we do it, and how we've been described it, you know, as anti-PR specialists, Mm -hmm. has been our greatest strength. It's allowed us to be creative in ways that we, um, you know, might have been stultified or even more sort of stagnated before, like this is how it's typically done sort of thing. It constantly challenges us to think outside the box. It... um, so we're, but we're still growing into it. Um, and when I say that, it, it's been a very challenging, interesting, sort of like growing pain that we're still even embracing and growing into is that when you do things differently and you do things uh, a, a, in a way that is, you know, kind of goes against the grain of traditionally what's been done in your industry. And I have to empathize with companies that are really disrupting and changing because I kind of feel what they are going through. The point is, is that almost every position that you hire, um, you can't, we haven't been able to hire uh, the traditional positions for those areas. It's almost like we've needed a hybrid. It's happened in sales. It's happened in marketing. It's happened in HR. It's happened throughout the creative process. Um, in PR, um, even in finance. Um, and we've, you know, learned that by, um, you know, you assume something, right? You have knowledge and you assume something. I need to hire an HR professional, right? Well, how do you hire an HR professional that's managing anti-PR, um, you know, employees, right? Um, and an anti-PR process and something that's so against the grain. Um, you have to have, you know, they have to have certain skill sets that you don't know until you get in there and you fail. And we finally have come to that own epiphany that, wow, when you change the purpose of your company, right, you change everything throughout it, the business plan, the, the mock-up of the people, the hires, where you're going, it, it, it does pervade. It's like this, this, thing that you can't see but you can feel it and it affects everything in the company so I would say that is the one thing that answers both of those questions and and does that give you energy or stress you out (laughs) it's so funny these are great questions they give me both they give us both it it gives us energy and it stresses us out You know, it's like the stress comes from solving the problem, right? Like we've got to solve it. Um, And, but the energy comes from, you know, we have this viewpoint that there's always a solution. You just have to go find it. And Mm -hmm. that gives us energy. And then when we find it and we're like, okay, we got it. Then you have to make it go right. Right. You have to bring it into fruition. So that could be with any campaign. It could be with, you know, clients. It's with hiring. It's with onboarding, apprenticing. I have never found it to be lacking in any part of the organization. So both. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so- these are great. These are almost like it's almost like a counseling session with you, Sarah. <laughs> well, I am a coach, right? <laughs> little, little introspection here. That's why I told you at the beginning that you could answer the question whatever way you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> That's good. Very good skill. 
So, Carla Jo, you know, I mean, one of the things that I just think is so exciting is that you are in that, you know, less than 2% of women who've achieved seven figures and beyond in their business. So, you know, congratulations. I just don't think we always stop and reflect on that as much as we could, we could or we should. So, you know, having a moment for in that 2%. Thank and you. beyond that, yeah, I didn't know. I, I, honestly, I didn't know it was that low. Yeah, it is actually. So it's and those are U.S. numbers. Canadian is about the same. So it's less than in five hundred thousand and above is about four hmm. percent. And equally as interesting is eighty-eight percent of women-owned businesses have revenues less than a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So interesting. It, you know what, again, like, I, I'm so fascinated by your love of, of research and data, because I, I think it really should drive so much of, of our conversations. And, you know, and yeah. I, I think about this, and I think about, you know, what are those things, we all, we all started out in that same place, right? Of like, one day you started this business, you're like, okay, I'm starting, and I have no revenues. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What are the things that you... Um, do differently than when you started out? And what are those tried and true things that you still do regardless of, of where you are right now? Differently than I started out. Um, well, differently than I started out is I have a lot of numbers behind me and I've learned that business is a numbers game. You know, when you start a business, um, even if you have a business degree, right, or business training, you're still, there's the application of it. And you're learning through the application, what really works, what doesn't work in your industry, you know, think so on and so forth. But being able to apply certain things, see what worked, what didn't work, and then get a baseline of numbers, I realized that you know, there is the confidence there that business is a numbers game. So if you have this much outflow, this many leads, it leads to this much revenue, uh, just for example, right? Or the same thing in, um, you know, PR campaigns. This much exposure can, you know, create this much boost and so forth. You can then sort of project and predict. And so those things give you, um, you know, some certainty in running mm-hmm. a business. Um, so I didn't have that before. Um, just like any person that starts a business, you're at zero and you think, you know, and you can do as much market research as possible, but it, it, then you have to really see what happens when it starts, you start, you know, doing the do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm happy to have that behind me, um, that, so that's new, uh, than what I had before. Um, and the same thing that I do that I did then is that it's something that I always learned, um, in crisis management, right? Um, more communication is best. And, you know, the sequence, the sequence of expansion is, is you don't, um, you know, a lot of people can focus on the finances or, um, you know, being economical or trying to get in the perfect administrative systems and processes, and then they're going to work on their outflow and their marketing and stuff that will um, either take you forever. You'll never get off the ground or you'll shrink. You know, it's even almost counterintuitive, but it always works. You, 
you promote, you outflow, you market, you do PR like crazy, that buys you enough bandwidth to then get in, you know, systems and processes, and then you get in financial economy because you really can't economize on what you don't have. And so that has always been something that I have applied in every problem or every situation. Um, and even to this day, um, that's never changed. So that's what I haven't gotten rid of. You have so beautifully described the key strategic activities for each stage of business um, that I'm, I'm going to... <laughs> So write it down. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm writing Take that down. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit then about, so you've talked a little bit about the type of clients that you serve are really the disruptors in, in different markets. How do you work with them? How do we work with them? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, these clients all have something that they're doing that, is very different and it's really being able to pull out of them what makes them different and also tons of research into the industry and the um, industries that they're changing they're affecting and what is the public opinion surrounding that that's really the biggest thing if we can break down those barriers of distrust you know the human emotion and reaction right and get a groundswell of good public opinion, you know, good works well known, the ease of their marketing and sales, um, you know, increases. So it's really digging in and finding out from these companies. That, you know, you would think it would be easy sometimes because you know, have a very disruptive company and they're, say for instance, they're putting out an app that um, allows anyone to um, see you know, price transparency of healthcare um, services uh, anywhere you go. Say you need an MRI and you use this app and you say, wow, look at the disparity. It's like 600 bucks over here. It's 100 bucks over here. You know, crazy things like that, right? Mm -hmm. And you think that, you know, that is what makes them unique. But some of these clients, um, they're so stuck, right, in the technical aspect or what they're doing that they really don't know how to communicate and communicate the value proposition and the benefits um, and, what, and what it really solves for consumers or, say, the government, right, in this particular case or the healthcare market. And we have to pull enough data out of them and also with our research to then distill it down to tell that story that's going to get them broad recognition. Um, so we kind of do what you're doing with me, get them to really introspect, pull a lot of strings, you know, find out what the public opinion is, how good, how bad is it? And then, um, you know, work with them to penetrate that. And sometimes they're a little uncomfortable, um, you know, in penetrating it, Mm -hmm. but you know, we, we work with them and, and get them through it. Do you see a difference with your clients when you look at women and men? I'm always really curious about that. Do you see a different comfort level with putting pe- with putting themselves out there or being able to communicate those messages? You know, God, you guys such good questions. Um, <laughs> I yes, I would say um, believe it. You know, most of our clients are men. 
mm-hmm. but the women are bolder. They are more, yeah, they are bolder. Um, you know, these are very successful women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as a woman, um, you have to be. You have to be a bit bolder. You have to look, see what you can exploit, say, as far as like in PR to get the recognition. Um, they're, uh, they can think a little, a little more long term about the ramifications of, you know, certain positioning and things like that. And, and they're more willing to uh, really get out there. You would think it would not be that way with your 2%, right? Well, but, yeah, and it's exactly what you just said, right? I'm, I mean, the fact of the matter is these are really successful women, and they're successful because they're bold. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what but, you know, saying. they're not, it's, with every single one of them, though, I have learned, Sarah, it's a educated boldness. Like, mm-hmm. like you've, they've been educated into it. It's not something that they naturally started off with that way. It was by necessity. When I say education, it was by necessity. It's a necessity level. Interesting. So what's your yeah. advice then for women who want to hit that seven figure, have those bold dreams? Uh, what's your advice for them around, you know, fitting that PR into the mix, regardless of the industry? Um, I would say challenge yourself. Um, but be very realistic so that when you hit barriers, it's still part of the plan and you can still push towards your purpose, right? Um, you know, every time you go for a goal, you go, there's always some freedom connected to it, but every time you have freedom, you have some sort of barrier and, um, you can't challenge yourself without expecting to run into barriers. I think that sometimes can deflate us, you know, when we got this goal and we go for it and then we hit the barrier, we're like, why? That's actually part of the process. Mm. Um, And don't, you know, like be realistic as far as putting one foot in front of the other. I mean, some days, Sarah, you just show up. (laughs) You just, you just show up. You know, that's like putting one step in front of the other. There are incremental changes. Um, and incremental wins, you look back and you can see your accomplishment. But a lot of, you know, a lot of us uh, women entrepreneurs can be overachievers, right? Mm-hmm. And we think we have to get our goal now or, you know, we hit these barriers. We think something's wrong with us. Really nothing. It's just part of life and it's part of doing business. So I'm going to lead us off to commercial, but I'm going to ask you this question now so you can think about it. Um, okay. In your own, <laughs> I'm excited. What is it? <laughs> in your own experience with this, what are those really practical things have, that you've done when you hit a barrier to overcome that? So with that, I'm going to lead us off to commercial, and I'll be right back with Carla Joe Helms. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to Sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's Sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. Um, my name is Sarah Roach Lewis, and I'm here with Carla Jo Helms. And before the break, I had asked uh, Carla, she was just talking about um, what, what happens when you hit those barriers in your own life. You know now, as a successful business owner, that those barriers are a part of the process. The reality is it still hurts when you hit them. So what do you do yeah. to overcome those? Um, I have learned to um, have a very small support network. Um, you know, you can't be in it. You can't be in a silo. You can't be in it mm-hmm. um, by yourself. Um, you know, it's like you got to get other viewpoints. Um, and But you can get a lot of false data and you can get wrong data. You have to really – I have had to – figure out who I could trust that would just listen to me and point me in the right direction to find the information so I could make my own decision instead of evaluating for me because they don't have enough data. Even person that knows a lot that I constantly go to, they don't have enough data. I mean, how could I possibly communicate and download everything that I know about this particular problem, right? Mm-hmm. But it can guide me and give me some really good stable information, but then I can study it and, you know, even come back with feedback to be able to make my own decision. Um, That's what I've had to do. And I realized sometimes it's, I have to process things. It's like some, I used to, I used to think that there is value in processing something, you know, um, don't you think like, yes, you know, you absolutely. used to think that like, Oh my God, I have to have the solution now. And it would drive me crazy and it would keep me up at night and I would be worried. And then, and then at some point I realized, you know what, I've got to process this. I've got to look at all angles. I've got to look at the data. I've got to, you know, talk to somebody that's been through this, uh, you know, maybe another business expert, right. And be very careful. You do have to be careful sometimes in um, who you speak to so that you don't get invalidated or evaluated, but they're really their sounding board to listen to you and then ask enough questions, kind of like you do, right, to get you, me, to have my own certainty on it. Yeah. That, that has something that I've had to really learn. One of the things... <laughs> I, I mean, I just believe that any decision needs to be slept on. And I, uh, 
the difference for me is there have been those times of crisis when I've realized, I've had to realize that actually, you know what, there isn't time to sleep on this right now. We actually do need to respond or react in the moment. But I, I am a big fan of sleeping on things. So you gather the data. At what, at what point do, do you follow your gut? Or are all of your decisions made from that very logical perspective? Both. I mean, I've learned that you can have all the information in the world, all the statistics, but, you know, that's really just rote or robotic information if you don't have judgment over it. And so, you know, that those analytics guide you, but, you know, you just, you have to be comfortable with it. There is a gut thing, and I don't even know how to describe what that is, but you have yeah. to have, it's almost, it's almost like keeping your own counsel. Yeah, it's elusive, but you know it when you when you find it. Yeah, it's true. You also have to like rise above this craving for agreement. Mm. You know, it's like sometimes you want to do things because everybody agrees it's the right thing to do, and a lot of us have this. You know, we want to be accepted, yeah. and you know, you have this craving for agreement, but um, sometimes some of the best decisions come from just keeping true to your own integrity and not, and sometimes that goes against the grain. It's true. And I think, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I often talk about my first year in business as being a year long crisis of confidence. Um, Cause I just didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and, a good one. Well, and I had this amazing moment, um, you know, a couple of years ago where I was listening to this book on tape, which I entirely rejected all of it. I didn't like it. Um, it was, it, I was not the target audience for the book. Um, but the one thing that he said that really landed with me is this is your business and you get to make the decisions. And I sort of had a moment of like, oh, oh, okay, right. that's amazing. <laughs> Kind of like you got allowed to make your own decision, right? I think we right. all come to those decisions at some point. Like, oh, yeah, I can make this. Yeah, it's funny. And it, it does go to that, you know, we want people's approval or acceptance or agreement. And then at the end of the day, I think that's part of growing that business is, is, is recognizing that, oh, I'm, you know, we're the people we were waiting for to make these decisions. Right? Mm. Yeah, I wish I knew that. <laughs> you know, a lot earlier. <laughs> well, and, and it's life, a right? question. What do you yeah. wish you knew um, when you started that you know now? Um, that, probably. That, um, what do I wish I knew? Gosh. How would I articulate it? You know, probably that I really had to come to grips with my own decisions and it was my, they were my decisions and, um, you know, nothing's going to be so horrible. I mean, when you're in power, like you're in your, you're making the decisions, you know, you've made them and so forth. There's really nobody that you can blame when something goes wrong. You just have to look in the mirror and pull up your big girl pants and say, you're responsible and dig yourself out of the hole. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess that knowing that you can do that is that's something that I wish I had. When you when you haven't done that, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, you weigh every decision, and maybe you're not as big of a risk taker, or 
you know, because of that. But, you know, having that knowingness, I guess, is something that I wish that I knew about myself earlier when I started out. And isn't it great to know? If that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah, it really does, actually. It really does. What is your, what, what is the joy? What is the greatest joy that you take out of um, being a business owner? Because we know there's all kinds of, of challenges and stresses. Um, I would say, uh, whether this sounds trite or banal, it's when my staff are, you know, they make a milestone in their career or they've learned so much or they have accomplished things. You know, I just those, those daily little wins where they have been inspired or empowered to accomplish something that they didn't feel like they could. They could. I remember, you know, one of my employees telling me once I, you know, I have learned so much about, I get a little emotional about this, but like, um, I, I know how to make it go right. She said, like, no matter what, I know how to make it go right. And I just thought, you know, you never think that you're going to um, impact somebody's life that way. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, what a valuable skill. I mean, it's such a soft skill, right. Mm-hmm. But that you can just make it go right. I mean, that's, spoke volumes to me. Those are things that give me joy. It's such even a great descriptor. I, you know, I know <laughs> how to make it. Isn't it? Yeah, it is great. So what are you going to, what would you say to that woman who's wants to start out or they, you know, they're, they're moving along that path and they want to make that go to that next level. What is that? What do you say to that woman in terms of, from your own experience and, and what you see works really well with your clients? Um, I would say that, I mean, you know, you could get all the business advice of doing your due diligence and doing your market research and, you know, finding out where the demand is or where you can actually strengthen and create the demand, yada, yada, yada. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think it comes down for me on a more personal level is that if you want to do this, and you believe you can do this, do not deny yourself. Because I have seen more times than not, in people that I know, and even in myself, that when you deny yourself, you create a whole host of bills uh, upon yourself and in your life. And denying yourself probably could be the one of the worst transgressions that you could do to yourself. And so, what does pushing through that look <laughs> yeah. like? <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> That's such a good acknowledgement. <laughs> yeah. So when you think about that, when you think about don't deny yourself, what does that look like? What did that look like in your business in terms of that moment of, okay, Carla Joe, we're doing it? Yeah, you know, I, I think – Maybe it's just me, but I've heard people say it before. I mean, when you step out, you've got this big goal, you're going for it. You're like, this is what I'm going to do. I mean, there's all these internal voices. Maybe they're a uh, aggregate of past times people invalidated you or told you you couldn't or you've seen that happen to others. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, what if it doesn't work? What if people laugh at me? What if I can't make it? What if, you know, it's all that stuff right mm-hmm. um that is a very real thing and you have to um 
quiet it. I mean, anytime you're pushing towards a big goal. I mean, you could even, it could be in your head, but you could be flat out told, um, yeah, that's never going to happen. I mean, I did have someone tell me that one time. You know, our, our purpose, we have a purpose, right, mm-hmm. is to affect, make a major effect on the economy and the news by getting companies and people's message out in volume to, with um, solutions that will help millions of people. And I was frankly told that that would never happen. You'll never be able to change the economy or the news that way. And I didn't really think about that because, you know, we have. We Mm -hmm. have um, changed industries by um, getting out messages in a volume about solutions and products that really solve long-term controversies, harm, you know, um, gender bias, like all sorts of things. We have actually made a big impact um, with our continuous stories and what we do. And it, and it has been measured and we have been validated for it, like after years of doing this. Right. Um, but I was told I was, yeah, you'll never do that. And it really did seem like, uh, you know, when I thought about it for one second, I thought, well, maybe she's right. Like, but then I had to believe in myself. Right. Um, but it's, you have to, you have to ignore all the naysayers. I think that's what makes some of us a, a little um, obsessive, <laughs> you know, <laughs> some of us entrepreneurs, right? It's true. Um, and I think that we also have to, there, there's a certain quality in entrepreneurs that is, you know, sort of a weird combination of, of realistic and so radically optimistic that we just, you you know, you just push through all of the things that people say can't be done. That's, that's truly what a particularly a disruptive entrepreneur does. Yes. I I would think most entrepreneurs probably fit in the disruptive category, no matter what they're doing. Mm, It's true. So, you are working in this world where you have, and that is a beautiful purpose, by the way. What an amazing Thank purpose. You. I, I love it. And I'm so happy to hear that you are accomplishing that. And you have this big, you know, you have a big life and a big company and this big purpose. What do you do what does your downtime look like? What are those routines that you have in your life that you absolutely need to keep them in order to stay sane? Yeah. Well, because it's such a hectic and crazy high pressure, um, you know, work lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I um, love being very mellow and chill um, on my downtime. So, you know, we, we live right here in uh, the beautiful Gulf Coast, right? Paradise, you know, white sandy beaches. So um, paddle boarding, right? Sleeping in. I mean, it's, uh, you know, summer all the time here. That always helps. Getting sunshine definitely helps. Um, you know, taking, you know, a lot of it is a lot of exercise and outdoor activity, too right, to just kind of combat all of that pressure and that energy um, on a daily basis. And then just like, you know, chilling with family, really just chilling. We like to eat, too. 
<laughs> That's always helpful. So um, we're going to wrap up soon. I mean, really, this conversation has been so amazing and has gone so quickly. But I do want to talk to you a little bit about your podcast. Tell me about your podcast okay. and what you're talking about these days. Well, um, we're going to be starting another one. It's going to be about disruptive companies, right? And what they're really doing and how they're putting new technology and services and things on the map. But the one that we um, have now, I'm actually a co-host. And the host is Sky Cassidy of Mountaintop Data. And um, he's a a data company, right? He's the CEO of a data company. And we have a, a podcast called If You Market, and it's specifically for B2B. And it really explores, B2B is, a, is a, almost like a brand new, it's like a, a blank canvas. You know, marketing for B2C has been very sophisticated, um, but B2B is, you know, still catching up, right? And so we talk about all these B2B marketing ideas and tactics with industry experts, so all sorts of things, content marketing, AI and B2B marketing, account pace marketing, um, you know, big data and marketing, demand generation, you know, all of these crazy topics with these um, marketing experts that have really made it to the top of their particular avenue of marketing and can really talk about what can, B2B can do. And um, so we do it, I think it comes out once a week. I can't even remember anymore. And it's just like yours. It's really, you know, we ask questions, but uh, we end up getting in tangents, you know, and laughing and talking. But we hear a lot of insights about what's happening in marketing and the way it's going. Um, So there you go. Wonderful. Well, I am going to subscribe to that. Um, I am, I find marketing in general really fascinating and, and it's definitely a learning curve. And I, I just having that moment as a business owner of realizing that it's just never done. It's always evolving and always changing, but it's truly never done. It's truly never done. Never mm-hmm. done. Yeah. So I'm going to share all of the information people need to find more about you and your business, but tell me what's your favorite place to hang out on the interweb? Where are we going to find you? Um, Well, you can always find me on uh, LinkedIn, right? Probably LinkedIn is the best way to get a hold of me. Twitter, we use a lot of, you know, I use Twitter a lot for the, you know, conversing with the media, but um, LinkedIn is the best way to go. Wonderful. Well, I love listen, LinkedIn, by the way. I'm, I'm doing LinkedIn. a plug for LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love LinkedIn, too, because you know why people are there. And, uh, you know, I, I just think there's such fascinating people on LinkedIn. And it's also, um, there's so many people on LinkedIn who are watching but not necessarily commenting that it's, it's, it's a little bit easier to have your message out. Yeah. They're, they're all there for one purpose. That is for mm-hmm. sure. Mm, that's what I like. Um, and so as we wrap up, I, um, I, w- I do want to say thank you so much. This has been a delightful conversation. And, well, thank um, you. Mm, yeah. I also I enjoyed um, it. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. As we wrap up, I want to share um, with you, uh, ambitious ones, something I've been talking to my clients about over the past few weeks. And it's this idea that we're quickly moving toward 2020, and it's so exciting. It's a new year and a blank slate to look forward to. Um, and 
While we're doing that, I want you to stop, though, and look at the goals that you set for yourself in 2019. Are you on track to hit those revenue targets? Whatever your leading indicators are, if they're telling you that all is good, great. Then, you know, start analyzing your numbers in your year as part of your planning process for 2020 while continuing to drive business, of course. Um, but if you haven't, don't despair. There's still two months left to go. That's 17% of the year. What can you achieve um, to do those, like, what can you achieve to hit those goals that you set out for yourself at the beginning of 2019? Imperfect action, my friend. Make the call, send the proposal, launch the new product or service you've been sitting on. 17% of the year is still sitting out in front of you. Don't squander it. Listen, I'm so glad and honored that you're listening to this show. I, women like Carly Jo and my other guests are wildly inspiring and I just, I feel giddy that I get to have these conversations. However, listening and being inspired is important, but only if it leads to good old fashioned action. Done is better than perfect. Write that down, put it on your wall, and do something today that's going to drive revenue to your business. If you need some help, send me an email. I'm happy to hop on a call and help you strategize how you're going to finish this year strong and boldly take on 2020. In the meantime, I want to say thank you for listening. Thank you again to Carla Joe, and I hope to see you again next week on Breakthrough. Thank you for tuning in to Breakthrough. Be sure to join Sarah Roach Lewis again with another inspiring interview next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, have a great week.